Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Marketers and advertisers, brands big and small. You've been after a special someone for a while now. You think they're into you. I mean, you share the same interests, both passionate about the same stuff. Why wouldn't they be? Wait, there's a moment of silence. It's finally just you two alone. They're waiting. Go on, shoot your shot. You've got a voice. Use it now. Hearts are racing. Breathing becomes heavier. This is your chance to win them over. So what are you going to say? Get closer to your audience. Make podcast ads with Acast. Head to go.acast.com slash closer to get started. Hello, and welcome to Wicked Problems, a show about climate tech. The intersection between technology, capital, people, and politics that will shape our future and whether you'd want to live in it. Our, our belief was that Europe was ahead of, of the rest of the world and some of the regulation that was going to drive demand. Then the IRA happened. And that's completely shifted um, where the demand is coming from. Like the number of, of billions of dollars being deployed in the U.S. to build factories, to build solutions, to build batteries, like literally a, a World War II type mobilization that's happened in a very short amount of time. I'm Richard Delavan communications consultant and recovering journalist. Over 25 years, I've been helping tell energy and technology stories around the world. You might be a subscriber to our newsletter, which you can sign up for at wickedproblems.uk. Some people call it delightfully unhinged. On the show, we chat with some of the people making change happen, people leading a climate tech startup or the venture capitalists funding them, the corporates going through the energy transition at scale, and the journalists and thinkers keeping score. Today is October 5th. Here in the UK, the ruling Conservative Party just finished their conference and Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has become an unlikely poster boy for populist backlash against net zero policies. It's two months until COP28 in Dubai and yesterday we learned that the UAE offered to host the next COP as well, given that because of conflict in Eastern Europe, there's not a likely candidate for Dr. Sultan al Jaber to hand off to. And MIT Tech Review just launched their inaugural 15 climate tech companies to watch list including Blue Frontier, which licenses technology from the U.S. National Renewable Energy Lab for air conditioning that won't fry the power grid. And in 2023, which is likely to be the hottest in human history, global demand for air conditioning is only headed in one direction. One of the backers of Blue Frontier is 2150 BC. And a few days ago, I had a chance to speak to its co-founder. Here is our interview. So we're with Christian Hernandez today. Christian has held senior roles at Google and Facebook before getting first into venture capital and then as partner and co-founder at 2150 VC in backing climate tech founders. Since its founding, the fund has invested in 14 climate tech startups in what 2150 calls the urban stack. First of all, Christian, welcome to Wicked Problems. Great to be here. Uh, So urban stack, can we start there? How did that come to be the lens that you're using to look at companies to invest in? Yeah, so it's partly a, a personal voyage. When when I started digging into climate tech before it was called climate tech, I was trying to figure out um, two things. One, um, what's the what I call the vector of attack? What's the surface area that's big and large and bad, where we can deploy solutions today that can start having an impact today? 
Uh, I think with there's all these amazing science experiments that could deliver results in 10 years' time, but we need to shift the curve, literally the curve, now. And uh, through that investigation, I came to realize that the broad urban environment was that vector of attack. Uh, it's half of the world's population. It consumes three-quarters of the world's energy. It generates 70% of the world's uh, waste. It's it's good for humans to, to live in cities. It's bad for humanity. in terms. Uh, and so also realizing that there were solutions, technologies, um, that could be deployed today, and there was actually market demand increasing for those solutions to be deployed, be that by customer choice, by regulatory changes, um, and that it wasn't just the building. So the reason we called the urban stack is to make cities and its inhabitants resilient uh, and sustainable, you need to think about the broad infrastructure, the pipes that flow in and out, the proteins that flow in, the materials that we use, yes, how we heat and cool buildings and make it more efficient, um, but also the biodiversity and also the the health of its urban citizens. So it's 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 a, it's a vertical, but I always joke it's the world's largest vertical. Right, um, and it is something that I suppose climate tech, you know, broadly speaking, I guess it's useful to have that kind of a lens because I suppose when you start really zooming out, it's it, it's everything really, which I think is a surprise to people who are th- used to thinking about clean tech or just to thinking about just wind and solar and efficiency and batteries. Whereas, you know, the, I think the portfolio that you guys have seems to demonstrate, you know, this much more au courant and sophisticated understanding of the space, you know, but also having this particular lens on a problem that you're you're seeking to solve. So, I mean, it's been a, you know, kind of a, a two years where a lot of money floated into climate tech across the board in 21 and 22, whereas in this year, investments seem to have cooled off a bit dropping by 40% by some estimates uh, from VCs and PE into the sector. Um, you know, how have things changed in terms of how you're seeing the environment? Um, and, you know, what's what do things look like now? Yeah, so let's first talk about the misallocation of capital um, in, in climate tech in general. So um, PwC had a report out that looked at where VCs were investing in, in the problem sets. And so one graph mapped emissions and one the, the second graph mapped where money was being allocated. 50% of VC money was being allocated to mobility, e-scooters, batteries, EVs, but that's only 12% of the global emissions. 50% of global emissions are cities, uh, buildings, and industry, the industry that power cities. And that only receives 13% of the VC investment. So we focus on that misallocation of capital. And uh, you know, we're, you're seeing more and more people starting to realize that that's an important area as well. It's grown. We do a report every year with Deal Room called the Urban Tech Report. You see growth year and year into that category. But yet we're nearly misallocating money into where we could actually have the greatest impact. Cement and steel alone is 15% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. We need a lot of innovation in that space. Now to your question about um, the resetting of the markets, we, we do a quarterly a survey of um, pitch book data just to understand trends and we compare um, climate tech to overall tech. And yes, you, I mean, overall tech is down, especially in later stages, both in numbers of, of rounds, but also in, in uh, valuations and, and uh, round sizes. And that has affected um, climate tech as well. Climate tech has been less affected in the earlier stages than general tech in terms of like uh, the round size and valuation. So, so seed A, somewhat series B, it's been decimated even more than general tech in the later stages. And some, some of these are actually expensive CapEx projects. Some of these were raising at valuations that did not make sense. Um, so some rationalization of the market is is accurate. Um, uh, but I do think that there's still a significant amount of momentum around this category. I mean, when we got started with 2150, climate tech wasn't a thing yet. 
Um, and we were still like in the, in the hangover of, of clean tech, uh, 1.0. And now, um, by one estimate, um, you know, 20 cents of every VC dollar went into climate tech. But to your point, climate is everything, right? Um, it's, uh, there's consumer fintech that does carbon accounting for you. There's, uh, search engines like Ecosia that have a climate angle. There's industrial, there's, uh, B2B, there's, there's EVs. Um, so it's, 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 I don't see it as a necessarily a vertical. I see it as a horizontal. Right. I think that a lot of people have pointed to the interest rate environment and perhaps even some policy shifting and kind of perhaps even backsliding that we're seeing in certain jurisdictions. How does that affect the 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 outlook for you guys and when you look at this horizontal? Yeah, so so interest rate matters because many of these companies um are building physical stuff. To change the physical world for the better, you need to replace physical stuff with new physical stuff. So this belief that we can change the the climate the challenge with just software just doesn't make sense. To build that physical stuff, you're going to need cash and likely not necessarily equity financing, but uh, asset financing, project financing. Obviously, that's gets impacted by the interest rate increase, changes the economics of the projects, makes them sometimes um, unfundable. So that will have an effect on the speed with which we roll out some of these solutions. I mean, some of them need $60 million factories um, some of them need working capital to build their, their new, um, hyper efficient, um, uh, air conditioning replacements. So I do think that that is going to have a, a, an impact and also the amount of people will, willing to lend into the space. Knock on effect of increasing interest rates, giving, uh, investors into VCs and private equity. So my, my investors, my limited partners gives them new optionality, right? They can get a better more safer uh, return by putting it into bonds than perhaps investing into, into venture capital dollars. Um, so that I think will have a, a knock on effect on the amount of, of fundraising uh, and the amount of new funds, the size of those funds, which then obviously impacts the, how that money flows down to the startups. But at the same time, um, I'm seeing some continued innovation. Our deal flow or pipeline is as robust as ever. Um, with a rationalization of the prices, which is not as a buyer, not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but therefore, but I don't see necessarily a slowdown in the number of brilliant entrepreneurs wanting to focus on problem sets around climate. Right. And in terms of the, the actual sectoral focus, I mean, it, it, your portfolio has, you know, four different categories under the urban risk kind of bonnet. Um, are you seeing increases in, again, entrepreneurs looking to solve particular for particular types of problems that's different now than when you got started? Yeah, to be fair, when, when we got started, I was actually a bit concerned about deal flow, right? Were there going to be enough entrepreneurs working on this problem set? Like I said before, this is the world's largest vertical. Uh, that has not been the problem. The problem has honestly been having the time to go through all the opportunities. But we're also fairly thematic within the urban environment on, on identifying um, problems and then doing deep dives to get educated on what caused the problem and then what solutions could fix it. So the first deep dive we ever did was on cement. We're literally addicted to it as humans. Um, it's the most consumed man-made resource in the world, and it generates 8% of the world's greenhouse gases. So we studied the problem, understood what causes that. It's both the chemistry of creating um, uh, concrete, but also the heat required to make it, and started looking at solutions around the world for it, which led to our first investment, which was Carbon Cure. We've now done a second investment that's space um, called Biomason. We will likely do others in the future. It's such a big problem that you need multiple solutions. And we've uh, applied that same methodology to a number of other problems. Um, cooling, the summer proved to everybody that we need more efficient cooling, not only to be comfortable, but to actually be alive. 
Um, so we spent a long time looking for the right solutions. Um, not a lot of people were looking for cooling solutions. Not a lot of entrepreneurs were working on cooling solutions. We ended up backing a company called Blue Frontier, uh, which was literally in the news all summer long in the U.S. as the grid was literally imploding because it couldn't support the energy load from all these AC units. Um, so just a couple others that we've done. We've done one on water. We've done one on windows, which led to Luxwall. We've done one on the bioeconomy. How do we start making stuff with biology instead of petrochemicals? And, uh, and that drives or focus areas and leads us sometimes to areas that others might not be focused on. So windows, right? Not exactly something you would think a VC would be focusing on. Uh, 25% of an energy uh, loss from a, a building goes out through windows, especially here right. in London with uh, badly insulated, uh, Victorian, uh, Victorian homes. Um, but now we've also shifted our lens to think about different components of the system. Um, so one is adaptation, the notion that right. assuming we don't hit our targets, uh, uh, and we're not in a, in a good place right now heading into 2030, bad stuff starts happening. This summer was a great example of that. If you look at the images from around the world, floods, uh, fires, literally cars floating down the roads in Beijing. What do we need to start thinking about to adapt or plan it? for what is to come. Um, and, and then how do you measure success and adaptation? So that's one area of, of expanded focus. Um, one investment that we did recently was in, in uh, biodiversity. There's mm -hmm. a direct link on biodiversity preservation and the impact on, on climate. Uh, to actually improve biodiversity, you first have to measure it. So we invest in a company called Nature Metrics that uses DNA sequencing to tell you very precisely what um, living organisms have passed through that water or through that piece of land in the last 24 hours based in, uh, in Guildford here in the UK. Um, and, and, and we'll continue to expand our scope to identify some of these other problem sets and other solutions that people are working on, um, to make the core mission, which is making world, the world cities efficient, resilient, sustainable. Right. I mean, do you, in terms of the, the opportunities that you're looking at, I mean, what, You've talked a little bit about the, the approach that you take in go, looking at a problem to examine and then finding entrepreneurs who are examining that particular problem. Are there qualities of, of a management team or a founding team that you look at as well in terms of, you know, like yourself, people, some people, you know, look like they've come from uh, other parts of tech and into the space uh, in looking at problem sets? Are there common characteristics and, you know, kind of good founding teams that, you know, kind of ring a bell for you and make you look at it harder? Yeah, that, and I think that's no different from my my previous life as a more generalist VC, right? It's um, I once joked that that the dream entrepreneur is delusional; they think they can change the world. Competent, they have either the technical skills or the business acumen or the industrial experience to actually make it possible. And finally, and sometimes most difficultly, um, humble, the realization they can't do it alone, right? They need um, uh, team members to whom they can delegate. They need investors. They need board members that can help them uh, make strategic decisions. And it's that combination of all three that makes, for me, the perfect entrepreneur. What you alluded to is actually a really strong, a really strong point that, um, over the last several years, I've seen a number of repeat entrepreneurs who actually sold their business, were successful, pivot into climate, right? They have the money. They could be retired in, um, uh, Marbella. But instead, are assigned to apply their um, delusion, uh, expertise, and humbleness to actually tackle problems around climate and sustainability. And you're, you're seeing that around Europe, uh, and it's really, really invigorating to see people seek out a mission and apply their skill sets towards that mission. And are there any 
any anybody you could point to any examples you can think of about you know people who have made that shift I mean, again i used to work in the facebook ecosystem myself where you know we met initially years ago um where i think we we tried to pitch you for something and i don't think it worked out in the end for us but obviously there are many others who are in that same space like someone like joshua march who got into alternative exactly. proteins in the yeah. states um from cover social days and then there might be you know are there others that you kind of like you, you know kind of used to know in your former life who you've seen pop up in the space yeah, so, so it's, it is funny seeing like um, old friends uh, in new guises. Yeah, Josh was, was the one that I was thinking about. He was part of the early mafia, uh, Facebook mafia here in the UK, um, uh, doing really well with, with alternative proteins. Uh, Michelle Yu, who was uh, the co-founder of Songkick, um, has, has super critical space. Um, um, uh, I'm trying to think through through some other examples. It's it's actually it's it is reassuring to see people that you've seen in different guises begin to actually pivot actually and, other, and VCs as well, right? So VCs that are still in a generalist fund, but are now have, applying a climate lens to to some of the stuff that they, they focus on or sustainability lens. Daniel Waterhouse at Bullerton being an example. Albert Wegner at USV, one of the most successful VCs ever um, going all in on climate and launching a dedicated climate fund alongside their generalist uh, tech fund. Hmm. Um, so I think it's both on the inventor and the investor side, you are seeing people um uh, who we might have known in different in different uh, guys in the past come into the battle. We then had a small technical glitch. Sorry about that. But the uh, next question I was asking Christian was, what is different in how things have played out from how he expected them to when he started things a couple of years ago at 2150? Our, our, our belief was that Europe was ahead of, of the rest of the world and some of the regulation that was going to drive demand. Then the IRA happened. Like the single most important piece of climate legislation uh, the world has ever seen, and that's completely shifted um, where the demand is coming from. Like the number of of billions of dollars being deployed in the U.S. to build factories, to build solutions, to build batteries, to um, really like literally a a World War II type mobilization that's happened in a very short amount of time. Uh, and now, obviously, the, it, it starts creating this uh, uh, climate tech trade war between different geographies. China's the one that people don't really usually talk about. China's been investing significant amounts of money into solutions. And I have a, a perverse view on this, right? If you knew that a war was coming, wouldn't you want to be the peddler of weapons? So we depend on them for lithium ion. We depend on them for batteries. We depend on them for solar panels. Um, they are years mm. ahead of the rest of the world on this. And I think the U.S. has realized that and is, is, is investing heavily to step up. And EU is now the one playing catch-up, which is interesting. And now it's time for Catalysts. As we do with each of our guests, what are some things you've read, watched, or listened to that changed your perspective on climate or climate tech? The first is called uh, An Uninhabitable Earth. Uh, It's by a a U.S. um, journalist. It will scare the living daylights out of you. It offers no solutions. It just tells you what will happen. Literally, you will boil from the inside. Um, so that freaks you out. Then read Bill Gates, um, the Bill Gates um, climate book, and that will give you techno-optimism, the belief that we can solve this with solutions. And he has these five different areas in which in which buildings and cities is, is one of them. Uh, and then the, finally, the John Doerr speed and scale, because that will actually give you the OKRs to figure out how to measure progress along mm-hmm. it. And, and I think that was my voice, right? Freaking out. Knowing that we could do something through technology, therefore launching right. 2150, and now measuring and reporting right. on the impact that we're having. Right. Well, that's fantastic. Anyway, listen, Christian, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you so much. 
That was Christian Hernandez, founder of 2150. We hope you enjoy this edition of Wicked Problems. I'm Richard Delavan. You can find me on LinkedIn, at Delavan on Threads, or rdelavan on Twitter, because it turns out that despite Elon Musk's best efforts, a lot of the smartest people in energy and tech are still there. But for a bit more of a fun take on climate tech without all the Nazis, do check us out on wickedproblems.uk. Subscribe to the newsletter, mostly we do for free. And we'll see you again soon for another edition of Wicked Problems. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs>